All right, this is take three to our introduction to the Nose 24-7 podcast because someone uh, claims they can multitask and that they're not obsessed with hurricanes and storm tracking, but uh, that that would be a lie. Stop talking about me. I'm right here with you. <laughs> Who's in their feelings now? <laughs> not Sinone this time. Hey, guys, welcome to the Nose 24-7 podcast, and we're going to be talking about hurricanes, but uh, not the impending uh, Hurricane Michael. We're going to talk about FSU's game against the Miami Hurricanes, and, uh, man, it was a heartbreaker. FSU loses... 28 to 27 after building a 20 point lead uh, and there was good in the game I think we, it's fair to talk about that but ultimately you, you squander a 20 point lead and that leaves a bad taste in your mouth so we're going to talk about that as well it, there was again good bad uh, so you see some signs of life with this team but as Willie Taggart said after the game uh, this is still very much so a, a team that's learning how to win yeah it's weird to deal with the emotions of the game because Vegas and everybody thought blowout city ESPN game day act that way. Most people, most of us that covered the team felt that way. I thought it'd be about a touchdown game. And I only really went with a tighter uh, line because one, I, I think Miami is a little middle of the road. I don't think Miami's some juggernaut. And secondly, it's a rivalry game and mm-hmm. rivalry games are weird. It's Throw out the scores and the records. Well, FSU and Miami records. games traditionally are tight games that are not really particularly well played. And somehow the two teams stay you know, within striking distance of one another mm-hmm. to the end. Sadly, it really played out that way, and it was a one-point game that easily could have been an eight-point game. Miami kind of let off the gas there at the very end. But, yeah, it stinks. It's disappointing to be talking about a loss that was such a close loss, but yet it's so disappointing despite the fact they really played above what was expected of them. Yeah, the Florida State gave Miami a really good shot, uh, probably – I would like to see what the what the metrics was, would say just based on the box score. I haven't looked it up yet, but I imagine Florida State probably should have won that game based yeah. on uh, just just as they probably shouldn't have won the week before against Louisville. Uh, they probably should have beaten Miami. So, With twenty six minutes and fifty two seconds left in that game, you're sitting on a twenty seven seven lead. DJ Matthews just housed one, and it wasn't super fluky either, other no. than the kickoff or you're, the punt return. But you're feeling real not, good about yourselves, yeah. and then the wheels fall off. It all goes to hell by eleven fifty two in the fourth quarter. You know exactly fifteen minutes after DJ's return in game time, Miami's winning twenty eight twenty seven, and it happened really really quick. Two massive turnovers, two short fields, one big drive. Brevin Jordan pops you over the top whole new ball game and you know the weirdest thing to me sitting there is when uh jeff thomas catches that 17 yard touchdown from nikosi perry late in the third quarter about four minutes left it's 27 20 miami's still losing but in my heart of hearts and watching that game i fully expected that because he was losing at that point yep so that's the voice of chris Nee. i'm brendan sinone setting up the Knowles 24 7 podcast here obviously as we we've indicated this is going to be a lot about breaking down uh florida state's loss to miami but we are going to get into where FSU is through six games, sitting at three and three, kind of how this team has maybe shown some signs of progress, but is also, you know, three and three isn't where you want to be if you're Florida State. Uh, we're going to get into the good and the bad of the Miami game, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about FSU's quarterback situation, where that stands, because I think that's shaping up to be interesting. Maybe I'm making a lot out of nothing, but we'll talk about that, and we'll finish off the podcast by going over uh, a glimpse at the bye week, what it looks like for FSU with recruiting, what it looked like for practice with the impending storm. So we'll, we'll have that as well. Uh, guys, if you do like the podcast, and, and thank you to those who listen because uh, the popularity has gone up uh, despite me being clumsy, uh, clunky and clumsy and awkward. Uh, you guys listen for Chris. That, that's fine. I'm just here to, to drive the car and not crash it. Uh, speaking of which, Chris almost gotten to a couple accidents on the way back from Miami. Anyways. Just one. Just one. <laughs> and it wasn't even my fault. You did go on the horn for 45 seconds. 
He it's cut true. me off. He did. He looked like a she. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyways, five-star reviews on podcasts if you like us. Uh, if you don't like us, don't review anything. That's just mean. Why would you give me a one-star? And, hey, if you give us a five-star review on iTunes, if you have a minute or two, and uh, you, you do a funny comment about me, I'll have Chris read it on the next one, too. Okay, enough begging, so now let's talk football. Some people are desperate. All right, so Miami. want to get to the good, but I think it's fair to start with the collapse. And, and let's Florida State is up. Was it 20, 27 to 27 to 7, to seven, seven after DJ Matthews' return? 11.52 left in the it. game. And it doesn't immediately happen. No. But it's a slow you know, burn. You're on the precipice of it. So FSU's backed up, uh, and it starts with a with a strip sack. DeAndre Francois is hit by, a, was it the safety red wine? I keep wanting to call him cheer wine. Yeah, Sheldrick red, red wine, who Come. some may remember as a man that Cam Akers ran over in Tallahassee last, last year. year. Yeah. He, uh, he comes up to the line just before snap. They've got numbers on the right side. They're already bringing a little pressure. He adds to that. Akers is here to pick up one of the extra blitzers. Nobody touches red wine. He comes untouched. He annihilates DeAndre. Obliterates You him. can look at the right side of the line, and I, I believe at that point it's what? It's Kelly. Derek Kelly is Arnold. at right tackle. Mike Arnold's uh, at Kelly right Kelly works to the inside. Maybe he was supposed to roll to the outside and at least chip or help on the outside guy. But at the end of the day, DeAndre had no idea that those numbers were coming his way. He did not read it pre-snap nor understand it. He, you know, either you audible out of it or you go straight forward or you get rid of it very quickly. But dropping back, setting up to go downfield, he had no time to do such. So and as we're going to get into what the collapse was, and it happened really quickly, um, but as we get into the collapse, you're going to find that, that it's not fair to blame one person. I think a lot of... A lot of people want to put a blame on one finger there. There's a lot that goes into a 20-point loss. Yeah, and to use some coach speak from last week leading up to the game, when we talked to Walt Bell and I think also when we spoke to Willie Taggart, they both said, you know, we were talking about running game, but I think it fits this conversation. It's not the running backs only. It's an 11-man operation, Mm -hmm. and it's not the 11 men aren't doing well together as a whole. There might be units such as receivers blocking while that's going well. But the line obviously is a struggle. It's constantly a struggle. The quarterback's not climbing the ladder, doing a good job with pocket presence, doing things like that. The running backs aren't always doing their job. You know, they've blocked pretty well as a whole this year, especially Camp. Camp's been a very good blocker mm-hmm. in a department that used to be somewhat of a weakness for him. But the issue is in many cases for FSU, when it goes bad, people love to say, oh, Derek Kelly whiffed or this guy did poorly. There's plenty of examples where both – uh, tackle positions got beat by ends, or Gerald Willis ate up a guy on the inside while another guy's pressuring from outside, or DeAndre doesn't recognize numbers, he doesn't step up in the pocket, he doesn't tuck and go, he doesn't make the right read after a snap. It, it's a whole hell of a lot. People like to always try to point one finger and blame this or that. The truth is the offense is kind of a cluster of a mess. Mm-hmm. It, it has its moments where it looks good. First drive of that game, eight plays, really good. They had the one negative play on the whole drive. But other than that, they looked like an offense that was good. A lot of that in the first half where there was some good blocking up front, some good pushing. But there's a lot of instances in this game and throughout the first six games of the season where when it goes bad, it goes really bad, and it goes bad as a group. It's not an individual effort that's screwing up. It's a lot of pieces going the wrong way. Yeah, and the and the red wine strip sack, well, not even a strip sack. He just sacked him, and the ball went flying out because that was a, a massive hit. But yeah. uh, that was an example of that, Chris, yeah. of – the right side of the line, not seeing the blitz, not recognizing it. But I think more importantly, DeAndre Francois needs to see that. He had no idea it was coming. Uh, it doesn't get help, obviously, because his line his lineman didn't pick up the stump properly. And uh, the result is, you know, Miami gets the ball in FSU's red zone or deep in FSU territory. What sucks about that whole sequence is FSU holds him. It's fourth down and goal. And uh, Asante Samuel 
just broke up on third down a fade pattern to, to Cager, to Lawrence Cager, who's 6'5". Asante Samuels listed at 5'10". Uh, he's not 5'10". I'm 5'8". He's closer to my size. Uh, and that kid is gritty. I, I just I love the way he plays. He, he breaks it up. Miami goes right back to him, and we all in the press box saw that's what they were wanting to do. Why not go right back to up to it? It's a 50-50 proposition when you're talking about a guy that size. Just throw it up there. They just went 0 for 1 on it, so why not go you know, make it 1 for 2? And that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, that, and that's the second touchdown of the, at that point of the game, the second touchdown FSU surrenders on fourth yep. down. Both of which came to Cager. One was a 10-yard pass, the early one. Both on true about freshmen. 11 and a half minutes left in the second quarter. That is one on Asante Samuel to the corner, correct? The first one was on, on A.J. Litton, Litton that's and on that's Litton on a slant middle. pattern. The second uh, one is on Cager in the corner. And that's from 17 out, and the other one's from Cager, yep, yep. On, on, on two yards out. Levante mm-hmm. Taylor is not on the field for either of those. He had to go to the locker room, get an IV, had some issues with that throughout the game. That's a negative. Now, whether or not they stick with the younger guys in those situations, regardless, who knows, but you know, to not have who is considered your best corner coming into the season – Available in those situations is a negative. Yeah, and so and so and that, this game had a lot of those weird kind of not I don't even say fluky I don't think that's fair but just weird sequences that uh, is kind of out of FSU's control like Landon Dickerson had with ankle injury and they gets you know he had an ankle injury going in to Louisville plays um, he could have done some things to take care of himself better in the week and we'll leave it at that from my understanding and I feel pretty confident in that at this point so you don't have him in there. So that's that's the first part of the the decline for Florida State and and losing the twenty point lead. Um, and then on the on the next series, uh, FSU's what second down and they call that tight end slip screen one that went for a huge gain earlier uh, in the in the first half to Trey McKitty. As Willie Taggart says, uh, Trey McKitty is supposed to kind of slide horizontally under the line. He goes vertical. DeAndre still throws it to him as he goes vertical. And when I say vertical, I mean a, a yard or two downfield instead of going underneath the line. Uh, DeAndre doesn't recognize the linebacker after that happens. Uh, Willie's kind of said that that's on Trey McKitty. Um, but but DeAndre, still throw, DeAndre still throws the pass. It's intercepted. Miami gets it, scores on the very next play. That's the one to Jeff Thomas, correct? Yeah, that I believe they come back and, and pop the 17-yarder. Jeff Thomas on to that, the, working to the right. At that point, within a three-minute span of game time, uh, Miami, all of a sudden, as Chris said, it goes from 27, goes from 27 to 7 to, to 27, 27 21. 21. Jinx. And with that, uh, a feeling of hopelessness for yeah. Florida State. On the pick on the ball thrown to McKitty, yeah, maybe McKitty should have run a better route. I'm not going to argue that. Cole Minshew also could have got to the linebacker and blocked it up to give McKitty the underneath lane. He's a step slow. DeAndre Francois also makes a bad throw, a throw that he's made repeatedly this year and not had to pay for it. Late in the Louisville game, he should have been picked by Etheridge. Yep. Against Virginia Tech, there's an example. Against uh, – uh, and I knew there's the, an example in the first late. in the first drive that looked and so good, on the first drive, and yes. on the la- and I think one of the latter ones. He's had multiple instances this year oh, where he's not seen a linebacker too, underneath right? where he tried to gun it in and it should have been picked. Yep. It's just he finally got done in by a good linebacker picking. Yep. He's a pretty talented kid, one of the better linebacking cores FSU has faced. And that's an easier he got paid pick, for. It. That's an easier pick to have too, because so it's a couple yards away from. You the can blame Trey McKitty all you want, but I'm watching that quarterback through six games make the same damn mistake he was making in game one. We'll get to the quarterback play and, and where that stands a little bit later on because uh, that's worth five to ten minutes of our of our time. Um, but a, as we look at it, so at that point in the game, and guys, we're going to get to the good, I promise. Uh, I know this is painful for some of you to listen to. I understand if you're fast-forwarding, that, that's completely fine. I understand. We're just trying to put this all into perspective for you. But uh, so, so it stays at 27-21 for a little bit, and then we get into the fourth quarter. Uh, FSU... Uh, Dials up a trick play, and, and they like to do one or two of those 
per quarter when they can. Uh, it's a double pass. DeAndre Francois throws it to DJ Matthews, who's kind of in the slot. Matthews, a former high school quarterback, chucks it downfield for yep. Keith Gavin. It's a 40-something yard touchdown. And uh, with that, Florida State could have stifled momentum. It would have stifled momentum. It popped the crowd. After the crowd, the crowd was very dead before Miami had their surge. At halftime, they were shocked. Yeah. yeah. And and then Miami had their surge, and they were back in it. And then that play happens, and there's, you know, surrender Cobras and mm-hmm. heads on the pads on the sidelines, stuff like that. It, it was clear that that was the counterpunch that FSU so desperately needed. And something mm-hmm. that. FSU as a program in the last couple of years has severely struggled at doing when they're in a situation where delivering a it's kill slipping shot. away or yeah. they're losing of you know coming back and having that huge moment. I know they had the Louisville come back, but Louisville in some ways gifted that to them. In general, they've struggled with doing that. Mm-hmm. They had that moment, they used that bullet, and then the ACC officials take it off the board. Yeah, and, and the play is taken off the board, uh, and this is what we know of it right now. Uh, and this is on Monday afternoon as we're recording the podcast, and we had spoke to Willie earlier in the day, and he said in the media scrum that, that they had sent that to the ACC to be looked at. Uh, people during the game were asking why Willie isn't reviewing it. You can't, you can't as, a, as a coach, review a penalty. You can't do that. That's not how that works. You can ask for the officials to review it, which he did. Based on what Willie Taggart said, uh, they told him that they t- gave a quick look at it. and in the box. In the box, and they said it wasn't worth reviewing. Uh, I'm not 100% people are going to roll their eyes I'm not 100% sure whether that was the right call or wrong call on the field I know 100% that it should have been reviewed yeah you you gotta I I was disappointed I I understand Willie is very different than the last guy we covered you gotta be adamant there you gotta make your case make your moment let it take a moment maybe even rip a timeout and use it to force the issue further that play is significant. That play matters. That bullet out of chamber is one of your last bullets in a game that is clearly slipping away. Because nothing else is working for you, you on offense gotta, at that point. You gotta make a point of it yep. and maybe show your ass some. I, I don't want that. I don't think that's Willie. That doesn't fit him. But come on, two weeks in a row, you've had a moment of what is the ACC officiating crew doing? You know, at Louisville, it was a neutral zone, no call, wasted play. In this case, it's a huge play that is, you know, depending on the angle you look at on the camera, who knows? Mm -hmm. But it matters, and you need to take a look at it, and you need to put it in the hands of the officials to figure out if they're idiots or not and see if they screw it up. And maybe, you know, if they reverse it, we're having the opposite argument of FSU's gifted a call, and that's all going to depend on what side you fall on and how you view the video. I'm not getting into that. I don't really care. But it needs to come up. It needs to happen. I feel like that, that moment of... The disagreement and uh, it was a illegal forward pass and we're moving on happened too quick. Mm-hmm. There needs to be some posturing. There needs to be the officials having to take a second look, make a decision, force their hand, ask them to have a counsel of the officials, do something. Yeah, like, it's, it's a uh, moment. Just don't leave it be and move on. Even if you, even if they say there's nothing to review and they talk, it kind of force the issue. And I just I think that's a disappointing moment. I think that you have to kind of fight for it, especially at that point because your team is clearly letting a game get away from them. Mm-hmm. And all of the momentum is the other way. If nothing else, you at least kind of zap the crowd for a minute. It's a momentous part of that game and one that needed to be handled with the gravity that, that it was, and that's on the officials to, to not give it a closer look. Uh, I wrote about it in the three takeaways column that, that we did after the game that I would have liked to see Willie be more adamant, something I asked him about. Uh, 
last week after the Louisville game. Uh, that's not who he is, like you said, Chris. I get that, and this is coming from someone who's very passive and doesn't like confrontation. But in that moment, uh, I I agree. You have to show your ass a little bit. Uh, and and it doesn't change. Listen, people are saying that the ACC refs suck. Correct. Well, no, no doubt. And they're saying that that doesn't change that they're going to suck. It's one correct. of the few traditions the league has. It's horrible officiating. <laughs> but they're going to say that that's not going to change anything. Correct. I don't think it changes anything in that moment. You can maybe do a little bit more to buy time to get a closer review so that that's fair. It's more just about building up collateral later on to show that you're not going to let them get away with bull crap. Yeah. I, I think that's I think that's what you can do to build it. But, again, yeah, the, the officiating is what it is. That's not changing. I think fighting for your team sends a good message. To I do, too. Team too. I, I had a, a, Will, Will, he's definitely on the side of his players. I'm not trying to make any grandiose statement like that. But I think there's a little something to – the FSU had an edge to themselves in this game. They came out of locker room with that. There was moments of that. There was a lot of back and forth. And it was kind of a pleasure to see. FSU struggled with that in some ways. I think it would have been good in that moment where FSU was clearly struggling on ropes to kind of have you know some pep put back in their step. Even if it comes back where you have to go back on the field and back to the drive as it played out. Mm-hmm. I think the dynamics are a little different than just moving on like they seem to do. I agree. I, I, one of my favorite coaches I ever played for in any youth sport, but I did for played for him and coached for him for about three or four years in, in basketball, Coach DJ. And he, he, remember one time we were in the playoffs, and it was when I was coaching, um, and the officiating was poor, and he let them have it. And one of the nicest men uh, who I've ever met and respected tremendously as a young young man um, and he went in after the ref. We were playing Austin Rivers team and that, and so we were kind of outmanned anyways, and, and we were giving him a good game. But uh, he went after the ref. He took a technical foul. We never recovered from it, but he said after the game, he said, Coach DJ will always do that for you guys. He'll always fight for you if he thinks you're not getting a fair shot. Uh, and that always kind of resonated to me and something that I thought of in that moment uh, and, and after the game too. Uh, but, again, it is what it is, and I think because I mean, they would have almost been better off throwing an incomplete pass yeah. and that not being a touchdown because that was so deflating for FSU to have that taken off the board. To me, that that magnified how little your offense was able to do after Miami was able to start pinning its ears back and get some momentum. Yeah, because that happens during the drive. That started with about 14-46 left in the game. So mm-hmm. the illegal forward pass happens. That's on a second and seven. So FSU then faces a third and 18. Francois connects with DJ for 19 yards, gets just beyond the marker, first down. Akers in a one-yard rush, Francois rushed for four yards, and a pass incomplete to McKitty, where they were hurried by Pickney. Then you line up and Ricky shanks the 43-yarder. Did, did he get Did he get blocked or did it, it shanked? It or? was scored as missed with no yeah. block. When I watched the replay, I still couldn't tell for sure. Okay. It wasn't a good kick. It didn't come off his foot very well. Compared to his other kicks in the game, extra points and the career long that he nailed at the end of the first half, it was nothing like those. Those were very clean off the foot, Mm -hmm. good high, end over end, the way he likes to kick balls. That's series and special teams. So that goes to hell. It's all bad. Miami gets the ball back, 12.42 to go. They immediately – Fred Jones gets in on Nicosi on the first play and complete next play. Burns gets in there – Pressures Nikosi incomplete. Third and ten comes up. Mm, Nikosi rolls big pass. I believe that was to Jeff Thomas. Nice completion, thirty-two yards. I think he got over Stanford on that one. Stanford made the tackle to finish up the play. So they're at their forty-one yard line, and then finally Brevin Jordan comes up Shows to play. Up. Freshman tight end, really talented kid, gonna be a hell of a player for UM over his career there. From Vegas, Bishop Corman kid. 
He gets matched up with Kalen Brooks, turned and burned, 41 yards, touchdown. Thank you. Have a good night. Tip That's your it. waitress. Yep. Game over. How much time was there, left at there that were, point? FSU gets the ball back with 11.52, and, that, and that it felt solely like, did not matter. Yeah, they weren't no. going to win that game. Unless, that game was over. Unless Miami did something catastrophic to shoot itself in the foot, Florida yep. State was done. Um, yep. And so as that game unravels, uh, I think what stood out to me, Chris, and in reflecting on it is this FSU team is capable of throwing some punches. Uh, hell, it's even capable of withstanding a couple as well, uh, but doesn't have many other counter moves after nope. after it falls behind. It just doesn't have that in its arsenal with its limitations uh, personnel-wise. Uh, we're going to get into some of the deficiencies of this team that have played it throughout the whole season. I, I thought this was one of the better called games that Willie's had, maybe the best. Especially uh, out of the gate. They were very good early Very, on. very good. Very uh, comfortable in what they were trying to do, and they executed at a pretty high level. I agree. I agree. It seemed like that was the first time where this offense really felt comfortable with what he was calling, and he was comfortable with what he had. This uh, plays to your point of how FSU struggled once they got punched in the mouth. Miami scores 27-14. That happens. FSU gets the ball back with 4.53 left in the third quarter. That drive, two plays, minus three yards. That ended with the interception. That then led to a quick touchdown. Next drive, six plays, 11 yards. That ends the third quarter for all intents and purposes. Fast forward to a good old-fashioned fourth quarter where FSU literally could do nothing. They have the eight-play, 27-yard drive. That's the one we were talking about with the illegal forward pass. That's the one moment that it had something going in the second half. They only had 45 offensive yards in the second half. Eight plays, 27 yards, no points on the board. Here's what they do after Miami takes the lead. Three plays, two yards. Three plays, five yards. Three plays, minus 12 yards. And then Miami gets it. Squashes on the clock, clock for 10 plays, 31 yards, 4-12, end of game. They literally had no answer. The That's minute, Chris going through the stat book, by the, the way. Minute they, yeah, I just want to make sure I had those numbers right. The minute FSU got hit in the mouth and faced adversity in this game, outside of the illegal forward pass, they really didn't do anything at all. In any form or fashion. The offense got whooped. Gerald Willis started controlling the line of scrimmage in the middle. Mm -hmm. Joe Jackson was very good off the edge. Manny dialed up some pressure with some extra guys coming, linebackers and DBs. Red Wines hit, for example. Once that happened, it was like the wheels just fell off. FSU had so much momentum for 33 minutes of this game, and it entirely evaporated on the backside. And, yeah, I think – fair amount of this fan base has wanted to after the game focus on the positive and we're again i promise we're getting to it but to me it's negated when you blow a 20 point lead and the good that you think you had the line showing some improvement in that first half it completely reverts in the second half after after the wheels fall off it never rebounds uh deandre francois can't get himself out of any any he doesn't help himself at all with his work in the pocket he started what four for four six for six in the game and then down the stretch he literally he finishes 15 of 30 completed half of his passes uh uh, defense you know the the, nine for his last 24 the defensive line was awesome we'll get into that but too many big passing plays allowed uh and just overall adversity struck Uh, they weathered it a little bit and then just nothing Uh, and, and i think that's if you're talking about where this team needs to go that's where you start with is, is how do you, once you get punched in the mouth, what do you do? And and they they didn't collapse, man, but they didn't have any answers, and yeah. that's problematic. The positives is that, yeah, they've gotten better since Syracuse. They also had nowhere to go but up. Exactly. That's what, that's what been frustrating when people are talking about where they were since Virginia Tech and Syracuse, and that's all well and good. That's all part of the context of growth, but they were so bad You're and so poorly managed. I mean, it was – S shows. I'm getting better, so we don't get a parental advisory warning. It, it was it was a poop show 
for Virginia Tech and just guys not being able to get lined up yeah. correctly. Uh, there, there was so much bad early Virginia on. Tech can be excused as well. It's the first time trying to do something entirely new. Sure. Like, it happens. Bad days happen. Syracuse happens, and you lose 30-7, to and truthfully, the score is not indicative of how much they got rolled in that game. Yeah, Syracuse tried to give Florida State a, yeah. a, a chance the to The first stay half in. was kind of pathetically slow, mm-hmm. and then, you know, FSU goes to Louisville, and in some ways it's gifted a win, but whatever, they played 60 minutes, they earned they, it, they in played the it, end, it, they gave themselves a chance, that's, that's what matters. That's building block. They go to Miami, and truthfully, they exceed expectations, yep. play well, but when they got punched in the mouth, had no counterpunch and fail in the end. So they're three and three, six games in. And yes, you can you can look at the glass half full of yes, they are getting better. There are D lines playing some really good ball. Marv Wilson is a badass dude up front. Love the kid. I don't care about parental advisory. Kid's awesome. I think you say ass. Um, Dontavious Jackson playing much better ball. The linebackers in general played better in this game other than Kalen getting turned and burned. And there's other instances, but comparatively to prior outings, they it's, were better. It's not a. Uh, a- God. We saw Dontavious take people on. There was physicality. There was yeah. trying to clog up passing lanes some more. There was it's more not a stuff. hindrance to what they're doing now. Yeah. It may not be a strength, but they're it, not a very talented group not as, as far as depth thing. But they're they're trying to play better ball. The O line, good first half. We saw some push, some picking up of foreign blitzes, doing some things, and then when it started going bad, it snowballed and they never got out of their own way. I mean, the ends were whooping them at tackle position. Gerald Willis was having a field day with Mike Arnold. Mm-hmm. Mike Arnold was horrendous in the second half of this game. Mike Arnold struggled a lot this season. Uh, yeah. So if we're talking about positives, and I think this is how we're going to – it's not I think. I know this is how we're going to kind of transition into talking about the state of the team six games in midway through the season, midway through the first year of Willie Taggart era. Uh, there is growth. And, again, it started from such a bad place in the beginning of the year, uh, and they were so shell-shocked that you only have one way to grow to yeah. go but up. Um progress on the offensive line i'll say this brady scott limited physically um but he cares and he's at least trying to be physical cole Minshew just hasn't gotten back in top game shape yet but he's getting better Derek kelly's tough man he 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 was hurt clearly he still wasn't yeah. playing so so he right now you, you have you have maybe two or three capable offensive linemen in that lineup on yeah. on Saturday and the fact that you even gave yourself a chance with that again is I think commendable it's a good job of game planning but that's a weakness and guys that isn't getting a whole lot better this season it's yeah. only gonna get more difficult with attrition with a really tough second half of the schedule there's no magic potion on the other line Derek Kelly played pretty poorly at tackle but he was put in there because Abdul Bellow was playing really poor at tackle and Juwan Williams is currently incapable of playing a tackle. Yep. So it's like, yeah, pick your poison. There, there's no solution to the problem with the O-line. People want solutions. There isn't one to the O-line. The solution is some kid probably in junior year of high school right now or at a junior college. It's not <coughs> anybody on this roster. And the issue with that is that takes a couple years. Yep. So that it's, And that, that helps to hinder your run that. game, which is also hindered by your quarterback not wanting to run your system. Your quarterback's shown that he's been a very good vertical threat quarterback this year. Has he tried to be a better player, person, leader? Yeah, he's yeah. worked at that. Is it great? No, and it never will be. It doesn't come naturally. Your receivers have improved. That is an area that there is a marked improvement. They're a much better blocking group. They're a much better receiving group. There's still things to fight through. Tamori and Terry has moments like the ball that went off his hand and he got popped afterwards where he just didn't make a great effort on the ball. But there's other times where he, you know, Strong man's his opponent goes mm-hmm. over them, does things. You see it with him. Keith Gavin caught a touchdown. The first that is a marked improvement for yeah. that young man. He's always struggled in the red zone at actually holding on to the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, there are good things. Trey McKitty, 
he's had a hell of a good year. Mm-hmm. He has moments where he's still showing that he's a young dude in the he's offense. He's a sophomore who has five or six career starts to But he's name. a positive. Yep. The running backs, Patrick runs hard. Akers has done better in the last two weeks. Two weeks, yep. Trying to run harder. But that has been a huge disappointment for what is expected of that group. Yep. So offense, it's like, yeah, you can look at the silver linings, but there are fatal flaws that aren't going away, and there is no fix to this year. At the very least, you're, I mean, they were trending to be one of the worst offensive units in the country. Now they're going to be a, a really bad one, but not yeah. one of the worst. So, I mean, again, that you're, we're grading on a scale here. There's a curve to it. Um, and we'll get better. into it later. Quarterbacks is the one <coughs> interesting dynamic of that group that can truly be altered. Yeah. drastically, but do you do it? Will it pay off? Right. Save it, save it, yeah. save it, it, big cat. Uh, <laughs> but on the flip side, defense, there are positives. The defensive line. Have better. Oh, let's talk about the defensive line. Dude. Defensive That's what I want to get into. been a really enjoyable That's group. That's been Bri- awesome the last couple weeks. Yeah, Brian Burns is playing his backside off. His numbers are have risen week to week to week. His impact on games is very good. Marvin Wilson, I love watching. I think that might be coming across in the pod that I really enjoy watching Marvin Wilson. Fred Jones played arguably the best game of his career down in Miami on Saturday, and he played hurt as heck at the end of that game. He wasn't able to go and practice. Mm -hmm. He was on a crutch, in fact. But that kid played his backside off. Marcus Christmas was rock solid, too. Uh, Yeah, Marv Wilson. Corey Durden has shown flashes for that Yeah, I thought he was kind of... Janarius had a couple plays in that game. Kando got some pressure, which is nice to see. So so that's a strength. Um, It's still... Outside of Burns, you don't have anyone other than Marv who can generate a consistent pass rush, and Marv is obviously limited to inside stuff. Right? Well, just real quick on Big Marv, because I think he deserves to be talked about a little bit more. That's a guy who a couple of weeks ago were saying, oh, there's two or three plays every game that you see, and that's special, and that two or three is now becoming five or six. Yeah. And, um, I think the next step you know, for him, because I think he can be special, and he's showing to be really good right now. He has to do it all the time to be dominant, but that's trending in a really encouraging direction. And I love his attitude, too. He pursues constantly. Yep, constant. His stop-go speed for a guy of his size is pretty unbelievable. There's Mm -hmm. instances where he'll, you know, shed a block, be working to his right, and then have to work back to his left, so he kind of sticks his feet and goes. The way he accelerates for being a 320-plus pound dude is ultra-impressive to me. And he finishes plays. Enjoy him for at least 18 more games, folks, because that's about yeah. all you got. That's and it. against Miami, I thought the defense really did a great job of flying to the ball as a whole. There were plenty of missed tackles, plenty of slip tackles on special teams and on defense, but they were around the ball. Yeah, they're what they want to. They were a little reckless, but you can live with that yeah. if the result is. They played their up. backside off. The defense had two really bad drives which is the first touchdown drive, 14 plays, 83 yards, but they made Miami work And Miami scores it. on fourth down there. And then so. four-play, 73-yard drive to close it out, yep. which really is very much two big passing plays. Mm-hmm. It's Jeff Thomas completion and Brevin Jordan completion. You take away those two drives, and they really didn't falter. I know they gave up the two red zone touchdowns on turnovers, but they forced you know one to fourth down, and the other one was just first play. They hit a really good pass. A pass from Perry to Thomas to the right side. Yeah. It's tough to defend unless you get a safety crashing out. It was a really nice throw. Perry, they challenged Perry to make some throws, and he made a few, and that's one of those that he nailed. I think they were benefic- or beneficiaries of, yeah, Perry wasn't very sharp early on. He missed some easy throws that he could have, and again, that's part of this defense. You force him to push the ball downfield, but, but Mark Rick was really conservative with yeah. play calling. That was helpful in the first half. Once he decided to be a little bit more aggressive and they had momentum, uh, we saw what happened there. The secondary was, I thought the defensive line and this was going to be the strength of the defense, but I thought the secondary had the potential to round into something pretty special. Right now they do a high-risk, high-reward type of strategy with just 
not enough reward. Yeah, their their results are very much stuck in neutral. Yeah. Very good thing they do. They give up too many plays over the top of them. There's not enough turnovers created by that group. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kyle Myers picking up yellow hankies like it's his job on Saturday wasn't a great look. Turn he, around, He dude. needs to look back. Yeah, it, yeah, it's just it's not a strength right now. Cyrus Fagan hasn't played well this year. Yeah, as a guy who that's thought not trying to be could be something mean towards the kid, but he just hasn't played well. If he can been, play better, I think you can change some of the dynamic of what you're trying to do with your personnel. I mean, if you have the ability to move Stanford to cornerback yeah. with in good faith, that's huge. But they that doesn't exist yeah. right now. So, yeah, that that group is a disappointment as a whole for the talent that you believe that group possesses uh, special teams you know dj matthews finally you see what happens when there's not a holding call for him yeah. uh, that dude is special 145 return yards on the day you know it was fun watching him run by p-dub for that touchdown <laughs> since p-dub gave him some words of advice you know it kind of was fitting yep. the story itself yep yeah it was good to see and the, the kick return game i'm disappointed they haven't yet had anything of real significance in that but there's been moments where they've looked like they're capable of it. Anthony mm-hmm. Grant back there now, LeBorn early in the year before he got banged up, when he did get banged up. Um, yeah, yeah so they have moments. Team. But the special teams isn't an asset, and Willie you know, says it needs to be an asset. It's not. Uh-huh. You, you're missing kicks. Punts are inconsistent. You hold your breath every time that they're out there. Sure. That, that's the thing about special teams. Like It's just you have a guy who's getting paid specifically to do that, and it's not a good return on investment. I. I agree, and it's better than what it was against Virginia Tech, but again, we're starting at a place that was dreadful, and it's gone from dreadful to bad. Um, and there's moments where it is it is good. You have a really really dynamic guy returning punts. That's great. You know, Ricky Aguayo has bounced back to an extent after the bad start. Logan Tyler is hit or miss, but the coverage units uh, haven't been fantastic, especially punt return. Um, yeah, it's... Like you said, you hold your breath, I think, every single time because you don't know what you're going to get, and that's not good enough. You're at Florida State. There's some deficiencies. The offensive line this this staff inherited, there's not a whole lot you can do with it. Your personnel was for pro style, uh, and that's proved to be more of a problematic transition than, than you were, I thought. But you're at Florida State. You have enough athletes on your roster with the scholarships allotted to where, allotted to where special teams shouldn't be an issue. Yeah, and you're six games in. So you're looking at your team in the scope of where should they be halfway through the year. And Willie was essentially asked that very question today about what do you think about your team today that's different than what you expected at this point when the season began. And his answer, to you know, summarize, it was essentially the record's worse than I expected. <laughs> They're three and three, one and three in the ACC, and it only gets tougher from here on out. You know, you're playing Clemson, Notre Dame, NC State, BC, Wake, Florida. Florida is exceeding your expectations, at least for me. NC State's defense is actually pretty dang good with an offense that's capable. We know Clemson and Notre Dame are pretty good. BC, when they have their running backs, a very good team, and Wake is probably your easiest game for moving forward. And the one game you're currently probably favored to win out of those six. Can they get three more wins in the next six? Uh, I find that tough to believe. I, I would give them two, shot at three. I think four is far-fetched. Per the ESPN FBI, which FPI, which I was just looking at, um, FSU's remaining six games, it has a 70-something percent chance to beat Wake Forest. Everything else is less than a 50% right now. So... Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I mean, and and just for context, combined record of FSU's first six opponents, removing the FSU results, sixteen and thirteen. That's a win percentage of five fifty one or five five one. Uh, combined record of FSU's next six opponents coming up, twenty nine and six. That's a win percentage of eight two eight. So, yep. 
It just gets it no easier. It doesn't get easier. And teams that have comparable, highly talented defensive lines like Miami, such as NC State, Clemson, Florida's D-line's playing a little bit above what I expected of them, especially Ja'Kai Polite playing really good ball. They're going to give you issues, and your O-line is not going to get any better. They may get, you know, they may improve at doing certain things, but in general, they're not getting any better. And problematic is you look at what Miami's defensive line is and where their sack production is. Well, guess what? Clemson's pretty close to it. Yeah. Actually, Florida and Clemson both average the same amount of sacks per game as Miami. So you at least have two on that schedule that are going to, you know, similar similar problems with the, the matchups there. Yeah. So FSU may be progressing. That is a perfectly fair point to make. There are areas they are definitely getting better at. They have become a better football team. They're a team that is sticking together. They are a team that is willing to play 60 minutes. They are not quitting in games. These are all good positives. Yeah. The issue is the schedule gets much more difficult. Teams are really good, and FSU isn't getting that much better where they're all of a sudden going to be world beaters and be able to contend with a vast majority of what they have on their back end of the schedule, looking at who they are today and what they are through six games. Yeah. The uh, Sorry, I got a weird uh, email from... Uh, PlayStation saying I bought something. Focus, man. So, sorry, I was trying to look up the Willie Taggart quote because I asked him, uh, I asked him a question about what he thought they have grown and where they have gotten better today. And I was trying to find his quote for that until I got this PlayStation fraud alert. Um, but what he said was he thought they're more together as a team. That's what you alluded to, yeah. Chris. Was is he? That's and something that he has seen, and that's fair. Um, so. There's a little uh, more fight to them um, than we've seen. Our, in our readership has been very interesting, and I would love to get a poll. Maybe we should put a poll up, but, like, are people encouraged? Put it on a poll. This- <laughs> right. Levitard. Levitard. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, people are encouraged by where – are they encouraged by where this team is going? Are they just super frustrated? Is it a little bit of both? I feel like it's a really divided fan base. Well, not divided, but, but people are very drawn a line in the sand of where they stand, of, of where this team is right now and how they view it. Yeah, your glass half full, your glass half empty, what's acceptable to you. It's really kind of an interesting dynamic right now because you can be, after that Miami game, both optimistic about the direction of the team while still really frustrated that you blow a 20-point lead and you're at 500 halfway through the season in the easing part of the schedule. Yeah, here's Willie's quote on the record. From a record standpoint, I thought we'd be better than we are, but I also knew going in that we couldn't afford to have any injuries at the front, and we've had plenty of those, and we've been having to finagle some things and try to find a way, and our guys are getting better in that certain area. That's very true. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, there's only so much getting better. They're not that talented of a group. That, that's me, that's not, yeah, that's Willie, me that opining the on the back of Willie. Willie's quote. <laughs> the Willie quote continues, but we are making improvements from what we were in game one, and we've got to continue to do those things. Again, I agree with him, but the issue is that it gets more difficult going forward from here, and like the the getting better is not happening at an accelerated rate that allows them to become a football team that's going to be highly competitive against good teams. Yeah, I, I uh, after the Syracuse game, I wrote a column – uh, the next day when I got home, and it was essentially saying that, and I did something similar after NIU too. But but we're not judging this team in wins and losses at this point. Uh, maybe to an extent, but but really you're judging by the optics of what you see on the sideline, how they're together, uh, whether Willie can keep this thing afloat and in a positive direction long enough to build into next year. Um, you need to keep your team in. This is kind of an interesting spot. I was concerned that this team was fragile. I think they've shown that they don't have as much of a fragile makeup as we thought and as we saw last season. Um, but how do you respond now? Because you just lose to Miami devastatingly. You now have a bye week, uh, so you have to simmer on that. You have the hurricane, so that's a distraction you're going to have to probably deal with with school being closed and, and working with that. Um, 
At least and it won't mess with the schedule. Correct. The football schedule won't be messed. It won't be messed with. But you still, that's that's something else. Another variable that you're kind of don't don't mess with this curtain right now. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, where does the team go from here? And I think that's kind of the interesting part. And the thing Willie has done well though is kept them afloat and they seem engaged. Um, but, but we'll see in the final back half of the season where they stand. I mean, I think the most important thing for them moving forward is to self-correct the uh, errors that they can control. Turnovers. Turnovers. Yeah. Um, Willie's kind of banged on that drum a heck of a lot since Giving the end of the Miami game. Big plays on defense. Penalties, regularly. especially pre snap penalties on offense that Still back there. you up. They're not good at playing from behind the chains. Try to make some form of an improvement in the running game because they're not going away from trying to run the ball. Special teams has to um, be more special consistent. Special teams needs to be an asset. You need to win that 70% of the time, not 50 50 but, where it's at right now. But there's deficiencies that are going to be deficiencies when we wrap up the 12th or 13th game of this season. All right. Two more things that we want to get a, get to here and then we'll wrap up the podcast but uh, when i talked about the fan base being kind of kind of split on on some things uh deandre francois james blackman let's talk about quarterbacks right now because willie was asked um, i asked him after the syracuse game if he had thought maybe making a change not that i believed it at the time but it was something people were asking uh deandre was struggling uh, and willie said no he said you want me to put someone else in there who's gotten beat up well the offensive line while not great has made strides so the offensive line hasn't been dogged quite as much in recent weeks and deservedly so they've they've been slightly better they've been from gone from abysmal to to just not good um he he was asked after the miami game a similar question by a reporter and um and he said no he never considered taking deandre out for james blackman Uh, he did say that deandre has to get better at stepping up in the pocket at scrambling quicker uh, putting the offensive line in a better spot uh, when pressure does happen because he's standing too far back in the pocket. Go back and watch it, guys. You can see it. Uh, so he did say those things, but he said no. And then uh, today, on Monday, he was <laughs> asked about it, uh, about whether uh, DeAndre Francois was still solid as a starter. And he said, yeah, why wouldn't he be? He sort of laughed it off. Uh, but it, I, I would define it as incredulous uh, because he then – would ask the reporter, he's like, is that the question? And he said, well, yes, people are asking about it. So are they now? He said, okay, you got to be kidding me, and then walked off. Uh, in all fairness, the, for context, the uh, the interview was coming to a close. It was about seven or eight minutes at that point, and we were wrapping up. Yeah, it wasn't uh, a mic drop and walk off. No, it was just, I got work to go do, guys. Yeah, yep, exactly. But uh, certainly, uh, fair to say he was agitated by that line of questioning. Yeah. Um, and to me, as we kind of look at where the team is, I think, and I wrote this, I think they have to seriously evaluate it this week uh, where the quarterback situation is. It, I'm not saying that you make the move. I'm saying you have to look long and hard at what your offense is, what it can be, whether the guy you currently have there is getting you in the right direction. If not, you go with the younger guy who I think at least is going to be more comfortable running this offense. doesn't mean he's going to be better at some areas of it. Uh, James Blackman doesn't have DeAndre's arm talent, I don't think. Uh, but right now, I think you could move better than DeAndre can with the with the knee bothering him still. And I think it's almost impossible to fathom him being able to run read option worse than, than DeAndre. I have four quick thoughts on the quarterback thing. First and foremost, William, Willie Taylor and Walt Bell will die on the hill defending DeAndre. This they year. have That's so far. That's abundantly clear. They're not going to say that he doesn't read the offense well, doesn't run RPO well. It's just not going to yeah, happen. Yeah, they said he's maybe had a couple things here and there he can read better. Two. That, that seems uh, not accurate. DeAndre can only do so much in this offense. He's he's not comfortable in it. He's not natural to it. He's not running it very effectively. He's a vertical passer who's been effective at that. That's been the best part of his game this year. Three, 
if you make the change, you gotta have to stick with the change. If you pull the plug on DeAndre, I don't think there's any going back. And four, I'm not convinced if you make the change, it really makes any difference. Mm-hmm. So then do you make it? Because then you're limiting yourself with one scholarship quarterback and another one who may not be happy. I, I I'm of the opinion that if you make it, obviously, like I said, you're not going back to DeAndre. So if you're making it, it better be for the belief that it's going to make you a better team, and that's a necessity. Because once you're done with DeAndre, I'm not, I don't, and I'm not talking going back to him this year. I'm saying ever. Like in this program, as you build it in the Willie Taggart look, there's not going to be a chance to go back, in my opinion. So this is what we can feel confident in saying right now is, is the staff is – having similar conversations or has had similar conversations we're having now is that they're well the red wine hit that play specifically plays to sort of how deandre francois is his own worst enemy Mm -hmm. he doesn't read the numbers doesn't recognize the situation gets lit up like a christmas tree lays it on the turf the game starts slipping away fsu loses it's not solely on deandre francois but it is a matter of he can control some of that of some of that environment feels to do so if you're if you're the quarterback, uh, this is especially true on the NFL level, but I think it applies to a big time college program like Florida State as well. Uh, if you're a quarterback and you're not part of the solution, then you're part of the problem uh, because you touch the ball so much. Uh, in this offense, you are the point guard. You make it all run. So much of about every almost half the plays they run, man, are pre-play. Where are the numbers? What read am I making? So you're you're the quarterback. DeAndre did that well in the first half, I thought, uh, especially with some of the perimeter checks that he made. He saw numbers. He took advantage of it. He got the ball out there. That's why it worked, and they were able to score 20 points in the first half. That wasn't fluky. That was just him doing a good job. Terry's touchdown at Louisville is a good example of that. He recognized mm-hmm. safety it. tight in the middle of the field, one kind on, of one-on-one, one. take it, yep. put it on top. Yep. Uh, so, so It's not all bad from him. No, and I think that's the part that's frustrating. If it were all bad, it would be but it's reoccurring. Easy to make. And, and yes, and to your point, um, is it getting significantly better? No. I, I agree. I think it's it's gotten better since the first game and second game, um, but we've seen it kind of it is what it is at this point. He is who he is in this offense as he's shown himself to be through six games. I did go back after the game and looked at, you know, he can pass a rating may or may not be the best way to judge a quarterback, but it's usually fairly fair. The best quarterback is going to be towards the top of, the, of those metrics. Uh, and of his career passer rating, his game, career passer rating in each game, uh, three of the four worst ones he's had have been this season. Uh, to me, again, it's not all on him. There's problems with the offensive line early in the year. There's problems with the receivers. Uh, but that is a microcosm of, of him not fitting with this offense. But uh, I, would FSU be 3-3, three 1-3 and 1-3 three, three with James Blackman at quarterback? My answer is yes. Probably. Uh, but then are you building for the future? Uh, are James you... Blackman's not your future either. No, uh, I you think you need a quarterback who fits the system. What you want to do in Sam the system, Al. yeah, and that's not either of the two guys on the roster, which is sort of the predicament. Yeah, uh, I I do think that's again what you're having to weigh. I think James Blackman goes in if he does go in. Sorry, I think the run game would probably look a little bit better because he'd be able to open up some of that. But then you lose some of the uh, those special throws, and and James Blackman has a big arm, but I think he's far more inaccurate more often. He has some hitches in his throw. And we saw that with him as a true freshman. And then, obviously, you run the risk of he's 170 pounds. How does he do running the football consistently, holding up? And if you go away from the guy you have at QB1 right now uh, for QB2 and you make that switch, is QB1 currently uh, 
still invested. Yeah, because the only difference on the red wine play, if Blackman's in there and he reads the numbers right and gets rid of it quickly or does something, mm-hmm. the only difference is you're probably not committing to turnover. He's still going to get whacked. And that, and so like, it's not like putting a different guy back there is going to change the dynamic that's the of one how thing much you, teams are living in the back. That's the one thing you could not do against Miami was yeah, turn the ball turn over. over. And you couldn't turn it over yeah. there. And then you do it twice. Yep. Um, so yeah, I'm not here to say that they need to make a change. I'm saying that they are considering it. Uh, I don't know when that decision gets made, but something at least you have to think about if you're FSU staff. You have to. October uh, 20th at 3.19 p.m. <laughs> Uh, you know, ultimately, I don't think, as we're sitting here now on this Monday talking about it, I don't think they make the change because um, there's so much that goes into it. But, but I think you at least the fact that you, we can have this conversation and it's not far-fetched to me is telling of, of where you're at. I think there. if you do such a thing in a season, the bye week is kind of the time This to is do the time it. to do it, yep. I don't think they do it, um, and I don't think it really changes things whether or not they do it. Yeah, and that's why you don't do it, because if your record's about the same, then do you run the risk of, again, it's different if you have two or three quarterbacks on the roster in addition to these guys, but you don't. Plus, you can still potentially redshirt James. Yeah, that's He's still, only played in one game. He can play in three more yeah, still. I'm redshirt. not. I mean, if, if I know, but I'm just saying in the sense of, from a coaching standpoint, you can consider, what, well, yeah, you got to rebuild the depth chart at quarterback. You can't. I'm making gestures that Chris can't. You, you may, uh, you know, I think we both believe Sam Howe is what this offense needs for its future. But you can't live with only two quarterbacks on your roster. It's unhealthy. So even if it's not James redshirting him, keeping him on the roster, having him does matter, even if he's not the guy you're going to go with. Yeah, I just I guess I'm skeptical that after if he gets jumped again by someone else or he doesn't get the starting Maybe job again, leaves, but you, you what's still, the redshirt matter then? You need to try to develop a depth chart. Part of the reason yeah. FSU's in a huge predicament is they did a poor job in recent years of developing their depth chart at certain positions. Offensive line, linebacker, two of their worst position. Develop a depth chart. Mm-hmm. It matters long term. All right, so we'll get to recruiting now. Uh, we've heard some good things with Sam Howell lately that they're making some strides after it looked a little murky. Is that fair to say? Uh, it seemed like the ice was getting a little thin. Yeah. Um, Sam didn't really publicly comment, which isn't really unusual for Sam. He's not much of a talker. Um, he yeah, prefers his, to go through his, his dad. dad. His dad kind of squashed it a bit. Sam did speak to Anna Hickey for us uh, this past week after his game. He's, you know, firmed things up a little bit. I think the staff's had good communication with him. I expect the staff to see him this week, presuming the storm doesn't mess up travel. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to work on that. They're going to go see a majority, if not all, of their commitments. You're going to see them make a push for positions where they need help, O-line linebacker. That includes probably going to see the JUCO ranks. You know, I expect Greg Fry to kind of be the Juco point man for O-lineman. And with linebackers, it's going to be a collective effort with Raymond Woody leading the charge. But they need to improve those positions. They, The one thing I know about this staff from conversations we've had with members of it regarding this situation, they're very self-aware of their issues. Of the flaws, yeah. Um, they were going into the year, and I think Especially with their personnel. But even are worse. So. Yeah, yeah, it's been... To some degree, I think there's been – I don't want to use the word shock necessarily, but there's been some surprise with how poor it is at certain spots, especially on the O-line. So there's certainly an effort being made to try to resolve some of those issues through recruiting. And this week with the bye in practice, only supposed to go today through Wednesday before the storm alters things. The plan was to get out on the back end and do some hard work. That beating Miami would have been – so big to have that in your in your pocket it to go would in. help the sales pitch. Yeah. yeah, I think players that are interested in FSU that they legitimately have a shot at that watch that game understand that while FSU has some major issues and will struggle the remainder of the year, it's not 
that far off. There, there's parts that need to be rebuilt, but it's not like they're just an awful roster. Well, I think that's where, you know, when we tied the conversation earlier, Chris, about this team moving from being basement to middling to bad in some areas, above average in some, to making progress, tangible progress, is that does help. I think it would have been really, I think the staff would have been excited to go out on the road with, with that feather in the cap of beating Miami. But it is what it is. Um, I, you are, I think, you feel a little bit better with where you're at as a program and going into the bye week, even with that loss, than, than you were you know, three weeks ago. You just can't get overwhelmed with positive momentum and the whole we're progressing when you look at what you have to come. Yeah. Like that, that should halt that opinion. You need to get a heck of a lot better to feel positive about these things in another seven, eight weeks. Can I? Okay, so as we, we wrap this up. Um, I thought that was a great way to end it. It was, it was. Let me, well. It's too, I thought it's, I nailed the ending. It's too late. You're I'm, not good at nailing the landing. It's too late. You know, I'm, it's, we're already at, uh, what would make you feel good, I guess, as someone who, who enjoys this program, what would make you feel good about the end of the year? Like what what's the cutoff of, of optically or record-wise or whatever makes you feel, all right, like second half of the season, this is going in an okay place. Keeping the ball streak alive matters. There's a lot of people that have put a lot of work in that over the years that it matters to, plain and simple. That We saw that last year when it came about. Mm-hmm. So that definitely matters. Improving as an offense, like understanding how to generate points within the offensive system you're trying to run consistently mm-hmm. matters. Less three and outs, more drives that get put together. For FSU this year, has been way too boomer bust with nothing in the middle. Mm-hmm. I expect it to be boomer bust. It's sort of how it's designed, but yeah. there needs to be more in the middle. And more boom. <laughs> Defensively, the secondary's got to come alive. They've got to start making some plays, doing some things, being a better unit, more more, more reliable help from his other side, which will help the secondary in turn. The linebackers is a position I don't expect some huge leap. You know, Dontavious, I think, is playing much better ball, but I don't expect that position to take some huge leap going forward. O-line, you know, just keep gutting through it. I, to their credit, they understand they're not very good. They're very realistic about it. When Everly talks about it, he doesn't, like, you know, excuse what they do. They have a grasp of it. And they're putting in the effort. They're disappointed how bad they are up front, but they are trying to be better up front. But a guy like Mike Arnold, last week I sat in practice and watched Greg Fry tell him, you know you have to be physical, you have to hit somebody. Sweet Jesus. You're getting ready to play your sixth game of the season. That's happening. That's disappointing. At some point there has to be a mental breakthrough for some of those guys mm-hmm. to strain, to be physical, to put forth the effort, to even if you screw up, you're trying your best. And there's times where Mike Arnold's running in circles not touching people or, you know, Derek Kelly's getting put in a spin cycle on the edge or Brady Scott's showing his youth. they got to get better. They're not going to become good all of a sudden, but be better. Mm-hmm. I think going out there real quick on the offensive line, uh, Brady Scott has been a positive, and again, this is grading on a curve. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I have, to, I have to, to qualify with that. But that's someone that you say that at least is trying, uh, that's getting better, is making strides, and that's right now what you're looking at is making strides. Mm-hmm. I, again, I don't think judging this in a vacuum of wins and losses is great. If you go bowling – that's freaking awesome, man. That means you would have had to beat one or two quality teams remaining on the schedule. That's all really positive. And don't get discouraged. Play yeah. it through. Whether you go three and nine, six and six, seven and five, eight and four, whatever the heck it is that you finish up as, play it through. Mm-hmm. Play hard. Play to the end. Build for next year. Understand that it is a problem. And for guys like you know Burns, who probably want to go pro, seniors that are out of here, no matter what. 
it matters to kind of lay a foundation for guys who will return next year to understand, mm-hmm. man, we got a lot of progress to make, but we can look at this within the system. We did this right. Those things matter. You're trying to rebuild what you're doing as a whole. So don't get stuck in the short term of just trying to win next Saturday. Understand that's about trying to win next year at the same time. Play the long game. If if the team shows the same kind of effort and passion that it showed against Miami, win or lose, I think this fan base, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, I think this fan base would be okay with what you're no, going yeah. moving yeah. forward. If you, if you, the next the pro- six the, games look something like is, that, you're all right. Was it because it was Miami or yeah. is that what they're becoming? Yep. It's and, what they need to become. And that's what's interesting for this yeah. second half of the season. So that's a decent place to end it, it right? Yeah. All right, so. stick the landing. Yep. Guys, thank you for listening to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. Chris, thanks for joining me as always. Uh, check back at the website throughout the week. We'll have updates, kind of mid-season report stuff. We'll have a ton of recruiting content. It's a really good Q&A with, uh, with Nick Cross right now, saying Rome wasn't built in a day. Give that a read. And Chris will be our resident weather expert with uh, with updates on the hurricane and how that impacts FSU athletics in general, although probably not football a ton this week. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Remember, five-star reviews. Chris will read your review if you give it five stars and make fun of me. <laughs> Bye.